All right, good morning. Sorry about that. This thing does not like me today. Man, it is Christmas time again. Can you believe it? I feel like it wasn't that long ago I was outside thinking how hot it was. And now it's like Christmas time again. So, you know, for men, that's exactly right. Yeah, really. <laughs> Not a good thing or a bad thing? You know, um, for many Christmas, Christians, this time of year represents something called Advent. And some of you may have heard this before, but what Advent really is, it's, it's, it's represented by a season of waiting. And if you go to the dictionary, the dictionary says this. It, Advent literally means the arrival of a notable person, thing, or event. And it represents the four Sundays leading up to Christmas time. So when you look at Advent, what it really is, is it's a time to reflect upon waiting upon Christ's return. And for many Christians, it's Christ's second coming. But it also can look at it as, for those in the Old Testament, the coming of Christ for the first time. Christmas. Because for us, right now, we look at Advent and we think of, right now, we're waiting. We're waiting for Christmas time. We're waiting for the time of year in which we give and we receive gifts. You know, there's a German pastor. His name is Dietrich Bonhoeffer. I don't know if any of you have ever heard of him before. But uh, he gives a Christmas sermon. And one of the things he says in the Christmas sermon, he talks about how when once again Christmas comes and we hear familiar carols and hymns, something happens to us. He says, the hardest heart is softened, and we recall our own childhood, and we feel now how we used to feel back then. He says, a kind of homesickness comes over us for past times and distant places. Isn't that so true when you hear Christmas songs and you think about Christmas? Your mind always goes back to when you were younger. And I always think about when I was younger. I would sit down and I'd write out a list for what I wanted for Christmas as a child. I used to get so excited because you always had a hope and a desire for something in particular. I knew what it looked like. I knew what I wanted. And then Christmas Day comes and I get up at like 5 o'clock in the morning. And of course my parents would tell me to get back in the bed because they weren't ready to get up yet. And then I get up and I run downstairs and I can't wait to open up the gifts. And I open it up and what do I see? A sweater. Or like a scarf. <laughs> and you remember what it was. How was it as a kid? How disappointing was that? You know, this doesn't look like the Star Wars Millennium Falcon. <laughs> you know, you're so disappointed. Why? Because the gift looked different than what you thought, what you wanted, or what you hoped for. And I can't help but think how often with us that happens the same way with God. Today's sermon is titled, An Unwanted Gift. An Unwanted Gift. And we're going to look at some of the same scripture that you may have seen before around Christmas time, but we're also going to look at a little bit different scripture too. What I want to do today is I want to dig deeper into Christ's birth. And really, when we say Emmanuel, God with us, what are the implications of God with us? Here's what I want you to look at today, and here's what I want you to walk away with. That God is giving us the very best gift of all. God is giving us the very best gift of all. And it's only God who gives us truly what we want and what we need. You guys ready? 
Let's start off. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, just clear our hearts and our minds, Lord, to hear from you. Oftentimes, Lord, this time of year, we hear Christmas sermons and and we hear familiar messages, Lord, but help us to really focus on what does it mean, Lord, for Christ to be born and what does it mean truly when we say Emmanuel, God with us, Lord. Help us to not just hear your word, Lord, but I pray that the Holy Spirit would move in us to have us react in a way and to do, Lord. What is it that you're calling us to do today, Father? And I pray that you would just make that evident for us, Lord. In your precious name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. So we're actually going to start off in the book of Numbers. This is a great Christmas chapter, right? The book of Numbers. At least I didn't say Leviticus. So it's Numbers, right? So we're going to go start off in Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4 and 11. If you, can't, if you don't have a Bible with you, we have it up on the screen. So Numbers 14, verses 1 through 4 and verse 11. And it says this, Then all the congregation raised a loud cry, and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, Would that we had died in the land of Egypt, or would that we had died in this wilderness. Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. And then we go to verse 11 where it says, And the Lord said to Moses, How long will this people despise me? And how long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them? And if you're familiar at all with the history of the Israelites, where we are right now is you've got the kingdom of Israel, and it has now been separated into two. You've got the northern kingdom of Israel and the southern kingdom of Judah. And what happens right now is the Israelites, before they enter the promised land, they send out 12 spies. And the 12 spies, 10 of them come back with a bad report, and two come back with a good report. This is the people's reaction to the 10. And that's what they say. They say, you know, you brought us out here to die. You brought us out here to die. You see, the history of the Israelites is one in which they complained a lot. They complained when the Egyptians were following them. They complained because they didn't have water. They complained because they didn't have food. And what you hear right here is God responding, saying, how long will they despise me? How long will they not believe in me in spite of all the signs that I have done among them. The Israelites complained because what they were hoping for was something different. Or at the very minimum, let it, let's at least keep it the same. Don't change it. Keep it the same as what it was. We were better back then. It wasn't perfect, but it was better back then. They didn't like where God was taking them. We didn't ask for this, and we dreamed, dreamt of something different. And when you read the Israelites who are you really reading about? Us. Isn't that what we do? We complain about our lives. We complain about our careers. We complain about our path. Heck, we complain about our relationship with God. As humans, we always have this feeling of being accursed. Because we look at the world around us and saying, 
something's not right, we're cursed. Or we look at our daily struggles and we say, this isn't right, we're cursed. It amazes me how often as people who are supposed to be living victoriously, we just walk around as defeated people. We walk around as defeated people. And you see, the Israelites, they were doing the same thing. Because what God was doing was he was offering them something better. He was offering them something better. And they refused it. And when you think about us too, what God has done for us and what God does for us is God is always offering us something better. And how often do we refuse it too? Because it's not what we thought. And it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. And it's not what we asked for. And there's a disappointment in our lives of where we are and where we're going. You see what God was doing right here in Numbers? Is he was pointing them to an even greater gift. And then we move 700 years after the Exodus. And now we've got the, the kingdom of Israel split in two the northern kingdom of Israel, and the southern kingdom of Judah. And we have the prophet Isaiah speaking to King Ahaz, who is the king over the southern kingdom of Judah. And he's worried. Why? Because the northern kingdom of Israel and Syria are going to come together and attack him. And the prophet Isaiah is speaking to him. God is speaking to the prophet Isaiah, and we pick it up here in Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. Isaiah 7, 10 through 14. And it says this. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be as deep as Sheol or as high as heaven. But Ahaz says, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. And he said, Hear then, O house of David, is it too little for you to weary men that you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. What God is saying to Ahaz right here is, ask me for a sign and I'll show you. Ask me for anything. Just ask. Believe in me and be blessed. And how does Ahaz respond? He says, no. He says, I can't test the Lord my God. And when you look at it on the surface, it sounds very righteous. I don't want to test the Lord my God. But the reason why he says that is because in the back of his mind, he knows that he's going to go to the country of Assyria and align with them and get them to protect him. You see, he's refusing what God is offering him. And what God says is, I'm going to show you a sign anyway. The sign is this. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. And when you read commentaries, they give you a couple different uh, fulfillment. They talk about the, the, the near fulfillment, which means that prophecy being fulfilled close to that time where a virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel. What God was saying was God is going to be with them to protect them. And ultimately, the northern kingdom of Israel and Syrians, they were defeated. And then you look what they call the far fulfillment. And who does that point to? Because it's oftentimes what we hear when it points to Christ. The virgin shall conceive a son, bear a son, and his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God 
with us. What God is saying is, I'm going to give you something even greater, that God is going to be with us. God is pointing and offering something greater to Ahaz, and he doesn't want it. What about us? What would we say if God said, ask me a sign and believe? First of all, what will we even ask? And secondly, would we even believe? Or would we refuse it because we knew that we were going to rely on ourselves? What God does is God gives us the chance to trust in him. God is offering us something greater. And what God is doing right here is he's pointing to an even greater gift. And then we move forward another 700 years, and we pick it up in the book of Matthew. In the very first chapter, Matthew 1, 20 through 23. Matthew 1, 20 through 23, and it says this, But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from his sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. The angel appears to Joseph in a dream, and he's going to put Mary away because now she has conceived a child. And the angel says, no, that which is conceived is from the Holy Spirit. What he's basically saying is the prophecy from Isaiah 700 years before, the virgin has now conceived. And when you have the son, call his name Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. And his name shall be called Emmanuel, which is God with us. This prophecy is being fulfilled. Jesus and God is now coming here. Think of the excitement there must be. Think of how happy people must be to see the Messiah who has come. And we pick it up in the first chapter of John. It says this, well, he came to his own, and his own people didn't receive him. Or how about Nathaniel, one of the disciples, saying, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Or how about Jesus' triumphal entry into Jerusalem when they were cheering him, only to later, later turn around and say, crucify him? Or how about Pilate? When he says to the people, shall I crucify him? Shall I crucify your king? And the chief priest saying, no, we have no king but Caesar. How about Judas betraying him? How about Peter denying him? How about the soldiers mocking Jesus? How about King Herod wanting to kill him as a child? How about us? God with us. He was here. There wasn't the excitement. There wasn't the excitement for him. You see, what God was doing, God was giving a gift. But you see, Jesus wasn't what we wanted. You see, because for us, our problem isn't sin. We just don't have enough stuff. If I only had this, my life would be good. You know, Christ came as a child only to die. Why? To forgive us of our sins. Jesus wasn't who we pictured. 
You see, we pictured a warrior to defeat our enemies. If only our enemies would be defeated, then our lives would be perfect. But no, this guy came and he laid down his life and he died on the cross. Jesus, he wasn't who he asked for. You know why? Because we want a kingdom in which we rule. And this guy came and offers us a kingdom in which we're called to love our enemies and to put others before ourselves. God was giving a gift, and we didn't want it. It's not the gift that we wanted. You know, I can't help but think back when I was younger, uh, how blessed I was. I was blessed to have the family I did. I was blessed to have my parents. And I will honestly tell you that every Christmas, my parents gave us what we needed. You see, I really did need a sweater. I really did need a scarf. But you know what else they did? They gave me what I wanted. Because they blessed us with toys. And they blessed us with those things. And I can't imagine, or I can't but help think about the fact that our God gives us both. You see what he does is he gives us what we truly need, which is salvation. He gives us truly what we need, which is forgiveness of our sins. And he gives us truly what we want, which is life. True life. He gives us both. And he does it through the gift of his son. He does it through salvation, because of Christ's death and resurrection. He gives us the ability to know him as our heavenly father. He gives us peace. He gives us his wisdom. He gives us fullness of life, and he gives us hope. He gives us hope. How does he do it? He's been telling the story now for years. You see, the Bible is the greatest story ever told. The Bible is a love story. The Bible is a story of how man chose to find life outside of God and apart from God, and that we are separated from God because of our sin. And what God has been doing is God has been working to restore what was lost. And all along in all these stories, what God is doing is he's pointing and he's preparing us for his gift. It's the greatest gift ever. It's the gift of his son. That's why the author says in John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. And what God is doing today is he's offering you that gift. If you are somebody who has given your life to Christ, then you've understand your, you understood your need for that gift, which is salvation. And you've accepted that gift for salvation. But what you also want truly is fullness of life. And what that means is we live every day for him. We allow him to live in and through us. We live for his, with his peace. We live with his wisdom. And we live as lights in this world to point others to him. And for those of you who have not received Christ as your Lord and Savior, what you truly need is salvation and forgiveness of your sins. Because what you truly want is life. Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to make dead people alive. And that's what he gives us. It's not what we wanted. It's not what we asked for. And it doesn't look like what we thought it was going to look like. 
but it's the gift that we truly want and need. And I love the words of Dutch priest Henry Nouwen, and he says in his book, Life of the Beloved, he says, I can only look for something that I have to some degree already found. How can I search for beauty and truth unless that beauty and truth are already known to me in the depth of my heart? It seems that all of us human beings have deep inner memories of the paradise that we have lost. Deep in the recesses of our minds and hearts, there lies hidden the treasure we seek. We know its preciousness, and we know that it holds the gift we most desire, a life stronger than death. There's something in each and every one of us that desires beauty, that desires truth, and the only reason that you can desire it because it's already there, and it's given to us from him. There's something in us that says paradise is lost. And what we all truly desire is in him. It's life stronger than death. As we are in this time now called Advent, which is a season of waiting, we as humanity, we groan and we wait for his help. Christmas time is about a God who came to give us what we needed most and what we want most. It's a God who arrives in the midst of our loneliness and our sadness, who arrives in the midst of our disappointment, who arrives in the midst of our pain and suffering, and who suffered along with us. It's a God who created the heavens and the earth, who came in the flesh as a child. As we celebrate Christmas, let's not forget these stories and let's not forget his story. You see, the Israelites, they didn't want what God was offering. Ahaz, he didn't want what God was offering. And Jesus, born a child, he wasn't people's thought of who a Messiah should be. They didn't want what he was offering. But all were offered something greater than they ever thought. They were offered God himself through faith in Christ. Take that gift. Take that gift. Because it's what we need, and it's deep down truly what we want. Pray with me. Heavenly Father, can't help but think, Lord, how so often in the Bible and even in our own lives, Lord, you offer us something so much better than what we could even think about, what we could even ask for, Lord. And how often we just, we just don't want that gift. But you've told us again and again in your word, Lord, that that is life. We need salvation. We need to be forgiven of our sins, Lord, because what we truly want is life. And Lord, we try every day to find it without you. We find it through things and people, whether it's through money, just anything, God. We try to find it without you, Lord. And again, your word just keeps saying is no. What we truly desire, what's in us, is life from you, Father. I want to just give an opportunity today and to pray for those who you've given your life to Christ already. 
is I just want to pray and just lift you up in prayer. And I said, you would just take every day and just surrender. Just allow him to live through you. What does it mean to die to self and to allow him to live through you every day for his wisdom and his peace and to be a light where you are? And for those of you who have not given your life to Christ, he is offering you the very best gift that you could ever ask for. He is offering you truly what you want and what you need. I want to give you this opportunity this morning to to express that and to take hold of that gift that he's offering. I'm just going to ask you right in your seat where you are just to pray this prayer and to accept the gift and just to say, Jesus, please forgive me of my sins. I've lived my whole life apart from you. Jesus, I believe that you died and rose again to forgive me of my sins. And I will follow you for the rest of my life. In your name I pray, Jesus. Amen. You guys, with all eyes closed and all heads